Aren't you glad we're indoors this week and not outdoors like we were last week? God's timing is perfect. I want to thank you as a church. You are loving people. Boy, these last couple weeks, those who may not know, I was babysitting my son's Harley Davidson and uh, had a little encounter with Dead Man's Curve and lived to tell about it. I trashed his bike and made it through that, and I appreciate all the love that comes from this church family. You are a loving body. I got tons of great cards and phone calls. No one said, I told you so. No one said, stay off them bikes. Nobody went there at all. (laughs) Except for half the congregation. And our deacon ministry, man, they just came around and they took up a special love offering. They knew that I had trashed my son's bike and I'd need some transportation. So they took up a love offering and you can see on the screen what they came up for me to move forward with in my endeavor. Um, That was kind and thoughtful and very sacrificial of our deacons. That actually came from Gerald Deaton, one of our prayer warriors of all people. So I've been bummed out, man. My riding days are over. I was even planning an outreach uh, trip to Sturgis that we do as Southern Baptists, and that's off for now. Trying to think, man, I can't do that. That's not me. I, I can't handle that. And so I went to my grandson's first birthday party yesterday. And when he was opening up his gifts, God gave me a ray of hope. Against all odds of me ever riding a bike again, check this out. My grandson got his own Harley-Davidson. And so, yeah, how cool is that? That's just God's because my son's never going to trust me with his bike. So now I'm working my grandson. I will be riding a Harley again. I promise you that. Well, let's jump into some scripture. We're looking at what it means to live life against all odds. You know, the odds are stacked against us in this world. This world is not our home. The Bible says we are aliens. God didn't create us just for this earth. He created us for eternity. And in this world, as man gave dominion over to the enemy... The odds are stacked against us. A lot of people live looking at life and saying, well, that's impossible. That could never happen. Or God could never use someone like me. And I want you to know that's a lie from the enemy who seeks to blind us to God's truth. And so as we take a look at God doing the impossible, this sermon series, I hope, will challenge you not to look at life through the lens of your natural eyes, but supernaturally. Are there, is there such a thing as the impossible? Well, there are some things that are impossible. I'll give you that. Don't write me in notes and say, well, there are certain things that are impossible and I can prove it. Well, I can too. Here are a few examples. Some things that are impossible is number one, finding a parking spot at Walmart. It is impossible to find one in their parking lot within a mile and a half of that location. It is impossible. I'll give you that. Here's another example. Only one trip through the buffet line. Has anybody ever been, and of course those are out post-COVID, but remember when we would hit a buffet line, have you ever been through it just once for at least the male species or your pastor? That is impossible. Another example they tell us through marketing is this. Remember this? You grew up with this. You can only eat, you cannot only eat one Lay's potato chip. It is impossible. What about this one? Your kids ask you for a 20. (laughs) Well, that was my generation. Now they ask for the 100, and they got to do something with their friends on the weekend. Have any of you ever gotten change back from that 20 or that $100 bill? It is impossible to ever see a return on that exchange. It is impossible. I'll give you one last one. Getting out of church early. (laughs) Getting out of church early, it's impossible. I had to do a double take on that picture. I thought that was me sleeping through my own sermon. Impossible, and don't count on it. It ain't going to happen. Well, 
I want to encourage you today to pursue the impossible. As we think about that which is impossible, the impossible is just simply what nobody else has done until somebody else does it. And it's encouraging to me in Scripture to see those who did things that had never been done before, and God did a miraculous supernatural work, and what was perceived to be the impossible became possible. Paul had to remind us we can do all things, even those things that seem impossible, we can do those things through Christ Jesus. So why aren't we experiencing supernatural activity of God? Why aren't we experiencing what some people would say is impossible? Well, I think that's because most people only pursue what is possible. And if that's what you're going to live your life doing, limited to only what is possible, that's all you'll ever experience. Why won't we trust God to live outside the box that we put him in or that we live in? What if we could go out and see examples in Scripture and then see examples in the New Testament church today of God alive in us? Because if he is, I promise you, you will see impossible things happen. You will see supernatural things that you have never seen before. So let me take you to our next example. We've looked at Shamgar. We've looked at Uriah. Today, go to Judges chapter 6. And it's a shame that we have to go all the way back into Judges to see these impossible feats. I wish I could stand up before you today and preach from modern stories, from what God is doing among us. And may that be the normative as we continue to walk by faith in the days ahead. But let's go back to an example, Judges chapter 6 and verse 1. It says in Judges 6 that the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It wasn't just the Canaanites, it wasn't just the Amalekites, it wasn't just all these other nations or people. The people of God themselves have bought into the culture. Those that lived around them, they adopted their gods and their ways, and they just simply pursued what was possible in the culture in which they lived. And as a result, they were doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Sounds very much like America today and the day in which we live. I never thought many of the things that are common practice now would ever be practiced in this nation. And they never thought it'd be happening in Israel either, and yet they had adopted those things. The wages of sin is always destruction, whether that's you, me, or a nation. And we're going to see that happening for Israel. Look at verse 2. So the power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves dens, which were in the mountains and caves and strongholds. They were hiding for their very own lives. If you read the whole passage, you'll find that as it was harvest time, Midian and others would come in at that right time to keep Israel crippled. They would destroy all their crops. They would steal all of their livestock. They would do everything they could to cripple them economically so they would always live in fear and slavery. They were enslaved to the other nations. Midian owned them. And you can see all of that all the way down through verse 6. They were living in difficult times. They were doing everything they could just to survive. And they were reaping what they had sown. It seemed impossible for them to ever get their nation back. It seemed impossible that they would ever know prosperity ever again. And yet God was about to do something impossible. Look at verse 7. So it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on the account of Midian that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel and he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, it was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors 
and disposed them before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. God steps into their pain. He steps into their suffering that they have self-inflicted. And God continues to love them unconditionally and yet with accountability. And that's what God does with you and me. He loves us unconditionally, but he also holds us accountable In our obedience, we experience the favor of God. In our disobedience, we experience the consequences of our sin. Israel is experiencing those consequences, and yet God still shows up on their behalf. You may have thought, no, it's impossible for God to forgive me right now. It's impossible for God to work in my life because of this or that. And you can point to several things in your recent past even. I want you to see that is a lie from the enemy because in Scripture we see the precedent of God still showing up on their behalf. The word Lord here, he said, I am the Lord. Look at verse 10. I am the Lord your God. That word Lord means Yahweh, God's only name, meaning who is, who was, and who still will be to come. He was reminding them, yes, I was the God that delivered you in Egypt. And yes, I'll be the God in your current issues. And I want you to understand and know this. I will be your God forever. I will not forsake you. I will not leave you. And you may betray me and you may pursue other things, but I will always be Yahweh, your Lord. That's something that we need to remember because they thought their issues were the Midianites. They thought their issues were these other nations. Now their issue was lordship. He was not their Lord. They had removed themselves from living under the lordship of Christ or uh, lordship of Yahweh, and as a result, they were now being lorded over by a taskmaster. Go to verse 11. They needed to deal with the issue of repentance. Repentance is what deals with our lordship issue. Look at verse 11. But then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. We begin to look in on this story. You're introduced to a character by the name of Gideon. You've probably heard of Gideon. You know that guy that put all the Bibles in all the hotels all around the land, all right? You're familiar with Gideon, am I right? Gideon all of a sudden shows up on the pages of Scripture. And as we look in, God is about to call him out to be something he isn't in the current, but what he will become. As we look at Gideon's story, I want it to be an encouragement to you that you may not think much of where you are today in your walk or who you are, but I want you to understand it matters who God is making you to be. He is conforming us into his image. He's transforming us for his glory. And he is calling all of us into his kingdom work to be valiant warriors against the enemy of our souls and the God of this world, Satan. God always calls us. God always equips us to do the impossible. So let's take a look at this guy named Gideon. Let's watch this transformation, and let's watch how God does the impossible, so Gideon thought, and watch it become possible. Verse 13. So Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, can you imagine? I don't know that he said it like we would say it, I don't know that it was from shock. I think he was being reverent. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles? As if this was God's fault. Did God put him in this condition? 
No, they did. Don't put that on God and say, God, if you were really there, if you were really the Lord of all things, this wouldn't be going on. No, the reason a lot of things go on in this world is because we allow it to happen through our sinful choices and our disobedience. Not always. That's not the only reason. We live in a sin-torn world because of other people's choices and other people's disobedience. But in this case, it was their fault, and they're trying to blame God. And where were all these miracles which our fathers told us about? We haven't seen anything miraculous. We haven't seen anything, the impossible being done. If you're really God and alive, why do we not see you alive? Here, God comes to Gideon in his hurt and in his pain. We find him hiding from the enemy. We find him doing everything he can to try to survive, doubting the Lord, doubting that God even cares, and God still shows up. Maybe you're doubting God this morning. Maybe you're questioning the character of God or the care of God. That's okay. I mean, it's not good, but that's normative. But God doesn't call us to live there. That's living in the box. God wants to transform us out of defeat into victory, out of being victimized and being run by the enemy and becoming a valiant warrior in the end. How does that happen? What does that look like? Let's watch God do his stuff. Verse 14. So the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength. Deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Wow. Gideon needed a wake-up call. The church in America today needs a wake-up call. Has God not sent us? Was that not the last thing the Lord said before he left this earth? Go into all the world. I am sending you to all the world. Don't just go to church. Go into all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Make disciples. Go and make a difference. Be valiant. Be valiant and victorious. Don't live defeated. The gates of hell are not to prevail, and yet it looks around, it seems like that's what's happening. Is it because we're not showing up to become valiant warriors? God has sent us, and if he sends us, he will equip us, and if he equips us, he will empower us to do the impossible. Well, Gideon struggles with that, just like we do. Verse 15, he said to him, Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Are you kidding me? I'm not strong enough. I can't do that. How's that possible? It's impossible. Why? Look at his excuses. Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. He begins to instruct the Lord about how crazy the Lord is. We've talked about this before. We're famous for doing that. The Lord speaks and the Lord engages us and he gives us his wisdom and he gives us truth and we show him how foolish he is. Okay, Lord, let me help you here. You forgot something, a couple things. One, we're the least of the tribe of Manasseh. We, we're, we're nobodies, we're nothing. We have no resources, we have no, uh, no army to bring, we have nothing. And oh, by the way, remember this, not only do I come from the least of the clan, I am the youngest of the least of the clan. Gives every reason and every excuse why he isn't a candidate for God to use him. So easy to live under the umbrella of excuses. It's so easy to excuse the voice away. It doesn't matter what our resume is. It doesn't matter our resources. What matters is what thus saith the Lord. That's what matters. God has spoken. God has called. He must become a valiant warrior. Well, let's talk about not only his excuses, but apparently his strength. Look at verse 14 again. 
Go in this your strength. Gideon thought he had none. Gideon thought there was no value or no strength to bring to the equation. Well, that's a good place to be, frankly. You see, when you are weak, what did the Apostle Paul learn? What did he teach us through the parable of the thorn in the flesh? When we are weak, then he is strong. If it had been about Gideon's strength, Gideon would have got the glory. It would have been possible because it was possible through his strength. But God isn't looking for those of us who can make it possible. God is looking for those of us who are willing to trust God with the impossible. I was just talking to the Edwards on the way in, and I think back over the glorious ministry in Zambia and, and hearing what they said started at a budget of $400 a month is now $6,000 a month to sustain that ministry. A ministry that is taking care of now 550 students or more, 569 I guess they said, that on a weekly basis are now getting an education that would have never ever had any. That would have never had a future, that would have never had a hot meal. And that's happening now. It's impossible. It makes no sense how that's happening today. But God is the God of the impossible. Can I get an amen from those who've experienced it? That word strength here in the Hebrew is a Hebrew word called koa. Koa actually translates a rock wall strength. It's a picture of a mighty fortress, a, a rock wall that goes as high as you can see that protects all those who reside behind the wall. That's the picture here. God didn't say, I want you to go get in in your strength because, man, you got some serious biceps. That six-pack, that's going to pay off, man. Your hard work and your power lifting, man, I can use it. No, he wasn't talking about physical strength. He was talking about a strength that God provides, it says here in the Hebrew, a strength that is experienced when we live in obedience to Yahweh. Gideon, if you will, trust me. And Gideon, if you'll be obedient to the call, you'll experience a strength to do what you thought was never, ever possible. Let's quit living in what we can do and what is possible. But let's trust a supernatural God to truly be that supernatural in our life. Verse 16 again, God said, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Lord, you're crazy. Lord, that's not possible. Lord, he is the mightiest of warriors. He has owned us for generations, and I'm but one man. There come the excuses. You probably have said that too, but I'm just one person. What can one person do? Anything that submits to a supernatural God and experiences that rock wall strength. Well, Midian is hearing it. He's trying to learn how to respond in faith, but, but he's going to do what we always do. Okay, God, I hear you're calling. Okay, I got to take on Midian. And so what do we do? We know the odds are stacked against us. What do we do when the odds are stacked against us? You know what we do? We try to increase the odds to our favor. And so that's exactly what he's going to do. God has told him in verse 16, you're going to do it. Watch Gideon's response. On the same night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father. Cut down the Asherah that is beside it. Build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this stronghold. You see, the reason they were in so much trouble is instead of worshiping the true God, they were worshiping everything in the world. They were given all their attention, and they had adopted the gods of their culture 
and left and turned their back on the only true living God. You say, well, I'm not into idolatry. I don't do that. I, I love God. Well, they claim to be the people of God. But do you find yourself loving other things more than you love the Lord? That's idolatry. Do you find yourself being distracted or giving attention and passion and energy to, to something else outside of God's call and God's favor in your life? It can happen in Gideon's day. It can happen in our day. And then all of a sudden, we don't experience the supernatural. And all of a sudden, we barely experience what is possible. Gideon was obedient. He at least took that step. It began with an act of repentance. It began with a public declaration that I cannot move forward, I cannot experience the impossible as long as I have idolatry in my life. As long as there are other things that are more important than serving the holy God who made me and who has called me. Verse 28. So when the men of the city arose early in the morning, and behold, the altar of Baal was torn down, they were all crazy. What has happened? Who has done this thing? And when they inquired, they found out it was... Gideon. You see, to become a valiant warrior, to be a, a person that God can use, you can't have a divided allegiance. You can't be a Sunday morning lover of Yahweh and then a Monday through Saturday lover of the world. You can't live on both sides of the fence. It was a call out to serve God with all of his heart, not a divided allegiance. If you go on, if you were to read in verses 33 through 40, the enemy returns. It's battle time. God's been calling. God's been equipping him. God's now going to use him as a valiant warrior. And here comes the enemy. And as he sees the enemy, Gideon begins to respond in fear. Several times he asked God for a sign. Did I really hear you, God? Are you really going to deliver? God, this isn't looking good. God, the odds are against me. He is struggling in his fear. He had to see with his eyes. And that was his problem. If you're looking at this life through the natural lenses that God has given you, that's a challenge just for us to read a newspaper. How much are we going to be able to read life looking through these eyes? We've got to be able to look through the eyes of our heart, the eyes of a supernatural God who came into this dead life and made me a new creature. That God who created me physically and that God who created me supernaturally is the God who can do the impossible. And I must look to that. But in chapter 7... Gideon forgets what God has spoken. He succumbs to the pressure of the impossible, and he tries to make it possible. He says, if I'm going to take out Midian, if I'm going to, if I'm going to bring victory, man, I need an army. That's how you fight battles. You've got to have an army. And so he starts recruiting. What did God say in verse 16? Chapter 6, verse 16. The Lord said to him, he forgot what the Lord had said. Surely I will be with you. And you shall defeat Midian as what? One man. You know what Gideon does? He creates an enlistment program. And he calls some numbers. Some of you have been there, done that. And he gets the slip that he has been recruited to fill Gideon's army. 32,000 men showed up. Did God say... I'm going to give you an army to defeat him? Or did he say, I'm going to work through you to do the impossible? Gideon, again, was trying to improve his odds, trying to make it possible. So look at verse 2 of Judges chapter 7. We're almost done. Stay with me. The Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many 
for me to give you Midian into your hands. For Israel would become boastful. They'd say, hey, we did this. That was possible because I had 32,000 soldiers. And man, we fought hard. And yeah, God's favor is on us, 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 us. No, it isn't about us. It's about him. And God said, because you have done this, it's impossible for me to give you victory. You see, there are some things that are impossible. But what seems impossible becomes possible when we learn Gideon's lesson. Verse 3. Now, therefore, come and proclaim in the hearing of people, saying, Whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. So 22,000 people return. What do we learn from this story? We can't be valiant. We can't accomplish the impossible when we make room for fear. When we look at the odds and the odds overwhelm us, and when we look at the situation and we say, no, that's impossible. No, that's overwhelming. No, the odds are against me. When you allow fear to set up, you'll never walk by faith. God had to remove the faithless, the ones that were walking in fear. And over two-thirds of the people turned their backs and went the other way. Go to Judges chapter 7, verse 4. The Lord then said to Gideon, the people are still too many. What do you mean, Lord? You just cut out 22,000 resources. Are you kidding me? 10,000, please, just give me some. 10,000 was still too many. So he brought the people, he said to him, uh, this one shall go with you, he shall go with you, but everyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, you shall separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels to drink. He gives them a test, and he says, okay, bring them down, they're thirsty, they have a need, you watch the crowd, and you look for two groups of people, the one who laps like a dog, and the ones who kneel down. Now, which one do you think God was looking for? Well, man, we go for the ones who are kneeling down, right? Well, let's take a look. Not the ones who would act like dogs. Now, the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people kneeled to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the 300 men who have lapped, and I will give the Midianites into your hands. What is going on? I would have expected those who bowed down, who knelt down to get that water, who were thankful to get it. That looks like a humble thing. But what was happening is they knelt down, and I wish I could. I can't right now, okay? So pretend I'm kneeling. If I was to kneel down, what they were doing is they were plunging into that water. They were getting down, and they were just getting their faces all in it and taking it all in. But there were 300 that were wise. There were 300 that realized the enemy was all around them. There were 300 that walked like warriors, and they understood, and they would get that water, and they would bring it up to their mouth, and they would lap it like dogs. You know why? Because they were always on alert, and they were always watching for the enemy and how they might engage in battle. God said, those are the ones you take, Gideon. Those are the ones that I'll allow you to use. The other ones, the other ones that were full of fear, the other ones that were full of their flesh and only cared about taking in that water for their own souls who weren't worried about an enemy, look, I can't use those. And I would tell you today that if you're living in fear or you're living in your flesh, God won't do the impossible because all you're pursuing is what is possible. We wake up at the end of the story. The odds are against him. The enemy, 135,000 strong. 
Gideon, 300 strong. Do the math, it's 450 to 1 odds. Not that Baptists know anything about odds. Verse 16. So Gideon divided the 300 men. God's spirit was on him. God was using him. And God gave him wisdom. And he divided them into three companies. And he put trumpets and empty pitchers in the hands of all of them. Isn't that interesting? Then say he put rifles and artillery and spears, the weapons of their warfare. He gave them trumpets and pitchers. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, you do as I do. We kind of bring this to an end. Gideon no longer walks in fear, but he walks by faith. 300 men against 135,000. It made no sense. It was impossible. But Gideon doesn't see it the same way as he did. His faith now becomes contagious to the other 300. And look at what he said in verse 17. Look at me and do likewise. Do what I do. He led them into the impossible. And all of them rallied under that faith. And all of them rose up in their faith. And they watched God do the impossible. Gideon. You study his life, he has a roller coaster ride just like we do. He isn't always faithful. He makes a lot of mistakes. But God was still willing to use them. I make lots of mistakes. You make lots of mistakes. And we can use those mistakes as excuses, or we can use those mistakes as learning and pop quizzes and nurturing and God taking us into the land of the impossible. But we have to reject fear. We have to crucify our flesh. And we have to say, here am I, Lord. You've sent me. I'm showing up for duty. God, I don't want to just be Gideon, my father's son. I want to be a valiant warrior for my heavenly father. Let's pray about it with every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you be willing to say, God, do that work in me. Make me a valiant warrior. You say, what do you, that's, that's war talk. Yeah. You not realize that your battle is not with flesh and blood, but with spirits and principalities? Those spirits and principalities do not nap. They do not take vacations. They do not take days off. Every day you wake up, you are at battle, whether you realize it or not. And you may feel outnumbered. You may feel overwhelmed. You may seem discouraged or depressed. But I want you to know the same God who gave you a new life is the same God that gives you victory in your life day after day after day. You better show up for battle. Or the enemy will win each and every day. And so there are many today that know the Lord, Yahweh. But are you walking in the strength of Yahweh, that rock wall strength? Or have you become like many in Gideon's day that returned back to the old ways of living, only that which was possible? God, deliver us from us not the Midianites not the God deliver us from us our flesh our fears God today deliver and trust God in this moment say Lord increase my faith Lord today transform me into a valiant warrior maybe you're here today and you don't have a Lord you don't have a Savior you know about God you know he is the Lord God but he isn't your Lord then today you ought to come to one of our staff and say man I need to be saved I need a master of my life. I need a Lord. 
you come. Maybe today you just need to pray over what God's doing in your world, in your life right now. God, in these moments, may you be honored. And God, while everything looks like the odds are against us, God, that is just prime time for you to show your glory. So God, today we submit to you and we ask you to do the impossible. What is that? Fill in the blank. What is that that is impossible? That you need, only God can do it. And say, God, do it now. That's not manipulating, that's surrendering and releasing. Lord, over these next moments, be the Lord of every heart, every decision. Change us like you did Gideon. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.